What is the most fundamental difference between Christians and unbelievers? The answer from Philippians 2, 14 and 15 might be the last thing you would have thought of. The sermon excerpt for today is a message I preached back in 2016, so the illustrations about our depraved culture are already out of date, sadly. Things have gotten a lot worse over the last seven years, especially with the mutilation and abuse of children by doctors and parents in the name of transgenderism. But that only makes the truths of today's passage all the more poignant. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. So we're studying through the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 2, and when you get to verse 14, it says that we are living in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. Anybody want to argue with that? <laughs> we, I mean, this world... North Carolina, you know the news, right? North Carolina just passed a law saying if you're a man, you got to go and you want to go to the bathroom, you go in the men's one and not the ladies' one. And that has caused an uproar. The federal government is suing the state of North Carolina for uh, saying that because the, 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 the federal government uh, is, is saying that that is a violation of the civil rights of those men who want to go into the ladies' room. Um, they're, they're saying that the Constitution of the United States requires that we let the men go in there and shower with the girls if they want to. At Mount Holyoke Women's College, when you fill out the application for admission into the, the women's college, there, you get to the part on gender, you know how many options there are? Eight. Eight boxes! This is a statement right from their website. It says, The following academically qualified students can apply for admission consideration. Biologically born female identifies as female. Biologically born female identifies as man. Biologically born female identifies as other. Biologically born female does not identify as either as woman or man. Biologically born male identifies as woman. Biologically born male identifies as other. Biologically born male identifies or, or with male and female anatomy identifies as woman. Then it says this. The following academically qualified students cannot apply for admission consideration. Biologically born male identifies as man. Those are the only people that can't go. So if you're a man and you know it, you're out. But if you are a man and you think you're a woman, or if you're a man and you don't know what you are, then you're welcome. And if you think eight gender options is just too many... You're not going to like Facebook. On Facebook, when you fill out your profile, you know how many options, gender options there are? 58. And not to be outdone by the United States, in England, there's 71. Because the 58 just wasn't inclusive enough. There's people still being left out. I think our generation qualifies as a crooked and depraved generation. Many of our highest public officials cannot bring themselves to utter the word, to agree with the statement, all lives matter. They can't say that. Pornography is speech, valuable, protected, free speech. But the word of God must be banned from schools and from all public life, life lest we violate that precious wall of separation that separates us from God. We have laws against discrimination uh, in every conceivable skin color, uh, ethnicity, age, gender, all that, except for one, location. 
If you happen to be located in your mother's womb, there is no protection for you at all. You can be tortured and killed. It's perfectly legal. There are absolutely no absolutes. It is wrong to say anything is wrong, and the only immorality is to say something is immoral. People will march and protest to fight and preserve our right to use the Lord's name in vain on TV and in schools and government, and they'll fight even harder uh, against anyone using his name not in vain. That's a crooked. I mean, how much more crooked and depraved could the culture become? Why are they like that? Why are they like that? Romans 8, 7 says why they're like that. It says the sinful mind is hostile towards God. It's the way people naturally are, hostile towards God. The reason they're so twisted and perverted is because of a deep-seated hostility against God and against the way that God does things. That's the blackness of this world. That is the darkness. And what the Lord Jesus Christ wants is a people of his very own that are purified from that and who stand out in stark contrast against that black backdrop. A holy people. Or in the words of verse 15, look at verse 15. He wants us to become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. When God looks down from heaven at us, he wants to see the same thing we see when we look up at night. A, a, a bunch of lights against a black backdrop. He wants to see his people shining like bright lights, lights in a depraved, dark generation. And what will bring that about? What, what, what are we going to do that, to, to make that happen? How can we get so that we are uh, so holy and pure and separate and completely different, so different from this dark world, children of God set apart from their, from their wickedness and evil, uh, shining like lights in the dark? What, how are we going to get there? Well, the way to get there is to do what verse 14 says. Because verse 15, look at the first two words of verse 15. So that, see that? Do verse 14 so that you may become pure and blameless and children of God and the rest. So, so the, the way to get into verse 15 is to do what verse 14 says. Well, what does verse 14 say? Well, well, before you even look, what would you expect it to say? I mean, if someone asked you, just walked up and say, how, how does one become pure and faultless and blameless in the sight of God, children of God, obviously God's offspring, shining like lights in a, in a dark, crooked, depraved generation, what would be the first thing that would come to your mind? How do, we, how do we contrast ourselves with this dark world? Is it by standing up for the sanctity of life? Uh, speaking out against homosexuality or gender confusion? Helping the poor? Uh, uh, maybe preaching the gospel? Um, uh, sharing your faith? What is it? What does verse 14 say we need to do in order to become blameless and pure and shine like lights? Look what it says. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Didn't see that coming. Right? I mean, that's a, that, I gotta admit, I mean, I, I hate complaining. I have preached against complaining for all my life. I've, I've understood these principles for many, many years. Uh, and, and yet still, if I weren't studying this passage right now and you walked up to me and asked me, Daryl, how can we shine like lights in a dark world so that it's obvious that we are God's offspring and we're different and we're holy? Um, if you ask me that, refraining from, from complaining and arguing would be way down on the list of things that would have popped into my mind. 
which just goes to show how much farther I still need to go in developing a Christian worldview that thinks God's thoughts after him. Because this is what he says in his word. So, how can we connect the dots between verse 14 and verse 15? How does, how does, what's the logic there? How does avoiding complaining make us different from this dark, depraved, twisted, messed up, perverted world? Here's how. Think back to the reason why they're depraved. The reason they are the way they are is because their hearts are hostile towards God and His law, right? They're rebelling against His law. And here's the thing that we need to understand. The beginning point of that rebellion, which is where Scripture always points. It always points to the beginning points, not to the end points. The beginning point of that rebellion against God's law is rebellion against God's will. The beginning point of rebellion against God's law is rebellion against God's will and complaining is the voice of that rebellion. It's the same thing. Complaining is an indication that you are already on the road that leads to that kind of twisted depravity. Because the cause, the complaining heart is an expression of a heart that's rebelling against divine providence. We saw that last week. So that's the beginning. The beginning point of murder is anger, right? Beginning point of adultery is lust. The beginning point of addiction is covetousness. And the beginning point of that hostility towards God and the way that he does things is not homosexuality and adultery and murder and all that. That's the end point. The beginning point is complaining because complaining is a rejection of divine providence, the way God is doing things. And so if we want to shine like lights in the darkness, we need to steer off of the crooked path and get not not way down at the end of the road. We don't stay on the road with the world and then veer off right before they start committing adultery and murder and everything. No, no. We go the opposite road. There's the road that goes off to uh, rebellion against God's law, and then there's the road that is the road of gratitude, that, that loves God and accepts what He's doing. The way to be different from the world is not to veer off their road at the end. The way to be different from the world is to go the opposite direction. And the opposite of complaining is gratitude, as we saw last week. Enjoyment of God and enjoyment of God's love for you. Complainers focus mainly on what God hasn't given, the gifts that God has not given. Uh, rather than on what God has given. And if you do that, if you walk through life with your focus mainly on what... If you, do, if you walk through life with your focus mainly on what God has given you, the gifts, the, the gestures of love that He has given you, your life will be filled with joy. You'll be filled with gratitude and joy. That'll be your life. But if you walk through life with your focus on what God has not given you, there will always be either self-pity or anger or both, and you will complain. You'll be miserable. Recently, Josiah was talking to a friend who was having a hard time with contentment. So Josiah asked him, he said, he said tell me about your day today. And uh, the friend described a very difficult day. And Josiah had a very insightful response. He said, he, said, he said, I think I know the problem. And he went on to describe his day. Um, and after giving an account of all kinds of hardships and troubles, and the friend's like, wow, that sounds like a rough day. 
Then Josiah said, let me describe another day. And he, he went through and he described another day. And, and this was a day that was described of all kinds of blessings. Went, a lot of great stuff happened. And the guy's like, wow, that's, that sounds like a wonderful day. And then Josiah said, I just described the same day. Those are two different descriptions of the same day. Those are both honest, accurate descriptions of how my day went today. But the first one focused on the gifts that God did not give me. The second one focused on the gifts that God did give me. See, joy is always available to us because uh, if we become receptive to and responsive to God's gestures of love that happen a thousand times every day, then joy is always available. It's always there. But joy disappears completely when we ignore those gestures of love because we've got our eyes on the gestures of love that we would have preferred, that we think would have been better. Why do we do that? Why, why do that? Because, I mean, if, if God gives me countless wonderful gifts through the day, why would I decide to put my focus on what he hasn't given? Because no matter how much he gives, there's also always an infinite amount that he hasn't given, right? Why would I put my attention on what he hasn't given when he's giving me all these wonderful things? Here's why. I do that when I fall into the not thy will, but my will be done attitude. Not thy will. But my will be done. That's what makes me focus on what he hasn't given. Because, because if I've got my attention focused on my will, then I'm going to notice every time something doesn't line up with that. And, and God, he is giving me lots and lots of wonderful gifts, but they all have to do with his will, his plan, not necessarily mine. So if I care about my will more than his, then I'm going to be focusing, I'm going to keep seeing things that he's not giving me because they're not lining up with my will. A couple weeks ago, Tracy and I were on vacation, and we, one of the times while we were on vacation, we were sitting in this really nice restaurant, and there was a kid in this restaurant just running wild, just out of control, darting in front of the servers that are holding stuff. They're almost dropping their stuff, and he's, he's getting into mischief, getting in cabinets and doing all that. Walking up to tables, just shouting at the top of his lungs to people at the tables, and just, just, just disrupting everybody's meal. Finally, this kid, after a long time, this kid's mom finally comes and takes his hand and makes him come back to the table, and the kid flew into an absolute tantrum. Uh, just yelling as loud as he could with the most annoying voice he could just he could muster, voicing his displeasure. Most people see a kid like that, and what do we do? We shake our heads, look at the person sitting across the table from us, and we complain about him. Right? When we complain. I mean, we complain about a kid like that. And we've, we fail to see that when we complain, we're doing the exact same thing that kid was doing. Aren't we? Because that's what complaining is. Complaining, except the only difference, we're doing it quietly. That's what complaining is. Complaining is throwing a fit calmly. Right? That's, that's what complaining is. Throwing a fit you throw a fit loudly, that's a tantrum. You do it quietly, that's complaining. But at the root, it's the same thing and it's done for the same reason, isn't it? The reason we complain is the same reason that kid threw that fit. He threw the fit because he wasn't getting his way. His will wasn't being done. The reason we complain is because we, we're not getting our way. We're saying, not your will, but my will be done and it's not happening, God. Not happening. And so we complain. That's the attitude that focuses on what God hasn't given. 
Lord Jesus, we remember your words. You said, while I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. While I'm in this world. But then you left this world and you said to us, you are the light of the world. We're the light. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would please awaken us to the reality of us being the only lamps in this dark world. When I made the point that grumbling is rebellion against God's will, you might have thought, wait a minute, the thing that I'm grumbling about isn't God's will. Maybe it's some evil thing that you know God hates. Well, when I say God's will in this context, I'm not talking about his will of desire, what he wants and what he loves. I'm talking about his will of decision, what he's decided to let happen. There are lots of things that God doesn't like, but that he chooses to do for his purposes. He doesn't desire that anyone perish, for example, and yet people perish. So the will I'm talking about is what God decides to do, his plan. Providence. As often as you can remember today, look around and just observe providence. Observe what God is doing, what he's doing in nature, the way he's orchestrating traffic, how he's moving people around. Watch what he's doing and then remind yourself, this is his plan for me right now. This, what I'm observing in Providence, is what he has decided the situation around me is going to be. What is my attitude toward what he's doing? Am I accepting it or rejecting it? Am I thankful? You probably have an accepting, submissive attitude toward many hardships in your life, but most of us have certain hardships that we're prone to complain about. What are some of the kinds of hardships you do well with? And where are your weak points in the area of complaining? Try to be aware of those today. And then ask yourself, am I shining like a star in the blackness of this world in the way I respond to hardships? I want to shine your light, Father. Help me not to masquerade as an unbeliever today when things don't go my way. Give me the grace to have a response that shows so much trust in your goodness that it startles the people around me. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. And let that encounter affect me like Moses, so your glory lights me up so I can function as light in the world, that men might see my good attitudes and glorify you. People all around me are asking, who can show us any good? Everyone wants to find what will benefit their lives and make them happy. I'm asking the same question, and I know the answer. Let the light of your face shine upon me and my family, Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their stocks go through the roof and they get a big raise and get everything they're running after. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. 
Your commands are radiant, giving light to my eyes. You are my light and my salvation. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them to drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. You kept my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before you in the light of life. Blessed are those who have learned the joyful shout, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness, for you are our glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn. You, O Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Since I love you, teach me to hate evil, for you guard the lives of your faithful ones and deliver us from the hand of the wicked. You shed light upon the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise His holy name. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.